All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now last week, we did the first part of this message, the walk. Our walk as believers in this world. The second part then, the weight. Our weight as believers in this world. When you study the context of the entire letter, first letter to the Thessalonians, you see that um, people, it's far enough into the age of the church, the time of the church since Pentecost, that the older believers are beginning to pass away. Paul had taught them many things. We've seen that previously in the study. He, what time he had, he gave them great, wonderful, deep teaching. He still had other things that they lacked, he said, and he, wanted, he was eager to come back and, and fill in that uh, part of their discipleship. One of the areas that they didn't understand, because all of the believers, I guess, or at least most of them, when Christ ascended into heaven... We're expecting that he was going to go make some arrangements and then he was going to come right back and he hadn't come back yet. So people are dying. Grandparents are dying. Parents are dying. Husbands and wives and people had lost their children. Maybe they lost people. They lost uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So what happens to them? And this is something that Paul addresses here to make them understand the state of the believing dead and what happens finally with those who have died in Christ. So let's look at the scripture. Number one, we wait with knowledge. But we do not want, beginning verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed. Actually, the word agnoin is means ignorant. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. In the course of my nearly 50 years of pastoral ministry, I have had many funerals. I've had the funerals of people who, as far as I could tell, died in unbelief. And certain families to whom I tried to minister and whose family member had died and I would lead in the funeral... There are certain family units that I recall where a great many of those in the family, rough people, just didn't care anything about Christ, and you couldn't talk to them about the Bible or anything, very hard to minister to. And two or three times I have seen what a struggle and grief those families went through when they had to pass by a close family member whom they loved, but in their hearts knew that there was no hope of seeing this person again in a proper 
beautiful setting. Many times, I've talked with them, many times they were not prepared, but they didn't want to take care of business like that. You do all you can do, and that's all you can do, right? There was a particular funeral that I remember where this guy died in a drunken rage. I think he was shot to death. It's been a while. But his, they didn't have a funeral service. They had a graveside. And the graveside service was in the graveyard of a church that hadn't been a church for decades. So there was a lot of uh, things were just run down. But you make your way through an unkept cemetery to where this man was to be lowered into the grave. And they had his casket sitting on that thing that lowers you down. And the family there at the last minute insisted that his casket be opened up so that they could see him one last time. And I, I have to think about this. I don't know that I've ever seen. I called it violent grief. It was unbelievable. They scrambled to grab that corpse. Now, you know, he's stiff as a board. And they start trying to bring him up, hugging on him and carrying on with him. And the funeral directors were there. I think there were three other guys besides me. And I looked at them and they looked at me. Well, we didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. What if they pulled him plumb out of that casket? What you going to do? I guess put him back in. I don't know. The grief was unspeakable. I had known these, some of these people previously. I didn't know the extended family that well, but I had met them. They were, they were screaming and carrying on and yelling and shaking that casket and everybody trying to get a chance at hugging and kissing on that corpse. Finally, the undertaker who was in charge stepped forward and said, we're going to have to complete this service. And so he lined them up and he let them take one last pass there. And that seemed to bring things to a conclusion a little bit. But as soon as they got the chance, they snapped that lid back down and did whatever it is they do to to lock her up. And I often think of that kind of grief when I think of those who have no hope. A grave, cold and dark, that becomes hot and unbearable. The Bible describing 
those who die without Christ, descending into Sheol, which gives way to Hades, and from Hebrew to Greek, those may be synonymous, but it's the in the in the New Testament Greek, it becomes the the word for the netherworld of the unsaved dead. Christ gives a parable about it, the rich man and Lazarus, how the rich man was in torment and he was screaming for help and so forth. The thing is, that's just death row. That's not the worst part of it. The worst part of dying in unbelief is that you will face a resurrection in what the Bible calls the last or the second resurrection. And it is a resurrection unto damnation. It is a resurrection unto corruption. So that a body is resurrected, outfitted, to experience death forever. Christ says from the great white throne to put a few verses together, the unbelieving dead whose names are not written in the book of life are having been raised up from high days are cast in those corruptible, horrible bodies into the lake of fire where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, Jesus said. And he said, the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. The worms of hell chewed on, I guess, gnawed on forever from some grub that is outfitted to have just the job of tormenting the unsaved dead. It's outer darkness, so everybody's blind. Nobody can see anything. And the fire burns forever. That's what the Bible says. It's an awful thing. Now, Christians are not to grieve as those who have no hope. We wait in knowledge. And that knowledge is that death for the believer is a thing that gives us hope. We have hope. Our walk in this world, our weight in this world includes the blessed hope that death has no power. Our Lord Christ and Savior has passed through that valley of death and has emerged victorious on the other side. And Romans 8 says, it happened to him. If you're in Christ, it'll happen to you. So this is our hope. We have believing parents and believing grandparents and loved ones and friends that we have attended funerals whom we have, that we have attended for them. And we have hope. And the message is that we'll see them again. We'll be together again. 
And this is the great teaching that Paul brings, apparently for the first time, to the church at Thessaloniki. I don't want you to grieve about those who have died in Christ like others grieve those who have no hope. So we wait in knowledge. Secondly, we wait in anticipation. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, now there's the question. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? You remember the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip came by and the Ethiopian eunuch was a little confused about a passage in Isaiah. And Philip the deacon says, do you know what you're reading? He said, I'm going to have to have you to help me. And so he carried him into the gospel as it was presented in Isaiah. And the Ethiopian eunuch said, slow the chariot down here. Here's a pool of water. What hinders me from being baptized? He said, nothing if you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and God has raised him from the dead. The thing that takes us out of hopelessness and puts us in the camp of hope is that in our lives we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died and that he rose again. This gives us hope. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, that states a lot of things. If you believe in his resurrection, then you'll have to believe in his death, and his death was vicarious, and it includes atonement for me, and the same faith that causes me to believe in his resurrection will certainly translate as well into my faith in him as my Savior. So Paul comforts the Thessalonians, and he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, well, everybody there in the church would say, well, amen. Even so, God will bring with him, now that's speaking of Christ coming back, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now, we go back here just a second and look at uh, um, bring with him those who have Fallen asleep in Jesus. So, all right, this answers one of the questions that the Thessalonians had. Where are they? They are with Jesus. Their bodies have fallen into the grave and thus the bodies sleep. But Ecclesiastes teaches us that the spirit goes back to God who gave it. Ezekiel teaches from the Lord, all souls are mine. So then the redeemed spirit will go to be with Jesus. We studied that in John chapter 14 a while back. So then Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, you're not like those who have no hope. You have hope. And part of your hope is found in this truth that those who have preceded you in death 
are with Christ. And when he comes again to get you, he will bring them, their spirits. He will bring their spirits with him. Now their bodies are asleep. There's a plan for their bodies. He talks about it in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now you could extract this teaching of rapture and resurrection of believers in Christ from John chapter 14. Other parts of the gospel, you could extract it from other things that Paul has taught, but you could certainly think that Paul in those three years in the desert would have been taught a lot of things, whatever. The teaching came from the Lord Jesus and is now being passed on to the church. Their spirits are with Jesus. Their bodies have fallen asleep. But let me say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming, that's an interesting word up there, the coming of the, of the Lord, it's a, it's a Greek word that means to be present or the presence of, uh, of Jesus. There it is. Parousian, it comes from parousia. The coming or the presence of the Lord. This is like the Lord is present. And in that presence of the Lord, the things that he talks about just after this will happen. So we'll say, okay, this is by the word of the Lord. Suddenly he is there. And suddenly being there, he has the spirits of those who have died in Christ. And Christ will deal with this in two ways. Number one, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So those spirits in Christ first before my rapture, if I'm still alive, are joined into glorified bodies. Their glorified bodies are resurrected and their spirits are joined into that glorified body. And so now you can say it this way because being dead in Christ, yonder in the paradisus that, that surrounds the heavenly Jerusalem and having access to whatever goes with it gives us Hope even on that side of death. Because we'll know that we're not all we're going to be. We don't have that glorified body yet. We're in Christ. We're with Christ. We're conscious. There's so many of the plethora of verses that talk about the, the, the conscience existence of those who are in the state of the dead in both parts. The bad part and the good part. So here's, here's the hope and here's the teaching. The presence of Christ. He will appear. And when he appears, he has brought with him the spirits of those who have died in Christ. And they will be resurrected first. Then those of us who are alive remain until the coming of the world will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So bang! They're resurrected first. Now, there can't be a whole lot of time, I wouldn't think. 
that passes between their resurrection and the rapture of those who are still alive. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Long Greek word up there. It says, Hapagesomatha from Harpazo. Talk about that word in a minute. And it speaks of being seized from impending danger, which in my view is the tribulation that's about to come. And I'll talk about that more in just a second. So you have the resurrection of those who are dead in Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Metamorphosis, the word metamorphosis comes from that Greek word used in 1 Corinthians 15. We're changed. So we are changed into our glorified bodies. Those of us who are alive and remain caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that's an interesting te- a teaching that, uh, that is found actually in, in, um, in the old classical teachings of the philosophers of Koine Greek. You can take it or leave it. But if you'll see up here, the word for air in the Greek is aira comes from the root air, air. So there's another Greek word that is the word ether, two Greek words for air. And in the Greek mind of the Koine Greek day, the dividing line was the top of Mount Olympus. Ether, air, ether, Air. So the thicker air was ether, and the thinner air was air. The dividing, dividing line was about 6,000 feet above sea level. That's an interesting thought. Now, the Lord doesn't waste his words. So, gospel according to Charles, you can take it or leave it. We'll be caught up into the thin air. Not the thick air. The thin air. But we will be in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord, never to be parted again. All who have gone before in that millisecond of time will await those who are now coming from life on earth, having not died. Now that only affects a generation of believers. But they shall be waiting, awaiting, and we shall be changed. We shall be caught up. We shall be seized from impending danger. Now, let's talk about this. We'll be caught up. That's what you have in your uh, legacy. There's the word. Arpage sometha. It's a future passive indicative. It's first plural from the Lesca form. Puzzle. The root means to seize, to carry off by force, to claim, to claim for one's self, 
to seize on, to snatch out or snatch away, catch up, take by force, catch away, pluck, pluck up, catch, pull. If your child is wandering out in front of a speeding truck, you will run and rapture that child out of the way. If there is a crazed pit bull charging your child, you will run and grab that child and jump in the car or whatever to seize that child from impending danger, to take it by force. This is what the word means. Now, people say, well, the word rapture is not in the church, uh, not in the uh, Bible. The Vulgate is the first translation of the Greek. It was translated into Latin. That's the first translation out from the Greek. Now, that word caught up, that phrase, is, is the word in, uh, uh, in the Latin which comes from the root rapiro or rapui ratum. And that word means to seize or snatch or carry away. And the anglicized word of the, of the Latin word is rapture. So, you know, you can say it's, it's there by way of Latin. It means the same thing. To be seized out of impending danger, to be caught away, to be taken by force from that which is otherwise a deadly threat. Now that's the rapture. The rapture of the church. And that's the word. This is a new teaching to the church. The Lord will appear. Parousia is the Greek word. And the appearing of the Lord is a reference to the appearance he makes up there to take his church. Now, in that appearance, he brings with him the spirits of those who are already dead, and they're the first ones raised. So they are joined to resurrection bodies. They are just as eager on that side for Christ to come back as we are on this side. After that, immediately, the living believers are raptured. Rapture. Poof. We get an idea. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, back to that section. And he says, it's in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. A twinkling, I read this. A twinkling of an eye has been clocked at one six thousandth of a second. An atomos, a moment, atomos, atomic. An atomic second is divided, as I understand it, into 12,000 parts. So somewhere between one six thousandth, I said that backwards, between one twelve thousandth and one six thousandth of a second will be caught up, a moment, a twinkling of an eye into those who are already, who are already resurrected and awaiting us. And he said, we will always forever be with the Lord. Nothing will ever take us out of his presence ever. We will always be with the Lord. So then we go up into, into God's heaven and we enjoy God's heaven and God's paradise and the presence of God. 
And in my belief, it might be a time for the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know that. I mean, it's just something I kind of believe is going to happen, but it's going to be happy. We're all going to learn how to ride heavenly horses. And we're going to be given a harp. We'll have to have seven years of harp lessons. Now, time in, time in heaven can move as fast as it wants to. We'll have to learn how to ride horses because we return with Christ on horses, flying horses. Yeah. And we will, of course, have a reunion that's beyond the imagination. All of this, this is the teaching that now Paul introduces to the church. The resurrection of those who are in Christ at the appearance of Christ in the aera and the rapture of those who are living to meet him together in the aera and to always be with him. So we take a fast trip back to be with him forever, forever. Now let's consider the three sounds that are mentioned here. First of all, the cry of a command, a shout. Uh, it, from, the word, from the root, kalisma, uh, it means it's a command. It's a, it's a signal, a command, an order. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm not worried that I'm going to miss it. Because by his command, if I'm already dead, by his command, my resurrected body will pop up, pop out. And I will be immediately joined, my spirit, into a glorified body. If I'm walking around, I haven't, I haven't died yet, I'm not worried that I'm going to miss it. Because I cannot deny the command of Christ. And so he commands, come up here. With a loud summons, he gives us this stimulating cry. So the first thing is the cry of a command. And it's the archangel's voice. As part of the future scene there, we're told that Jesus descends the voice of the archangel. So it's the archangel. The archangel sounds. Jesus will descend with a voice, the voice of an archangel. And Paul goes on and tells the people there that Jesus will return for believers who remain until that point in time. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we'll get to that God willing next time. He instructs his readers about how Jesus will afterward return in judgment of those who remain on the earth after the believers have been caught away. And then finally, he teaches in chapter 5 that believers are not destined for that judgment or that wrath of God that is to come. Now, according to Daniel, that's the 70th seven-year period. And the wrath of God will fall on planet earth for those seven years. And it's very clear that we're not destined for that. And we'll, God willing, we'll get to that next time in 1 Thessalonians 5. So, there's... The archangel's voice, um, and 
the archangel, not to do, not to overplay this too much, but uh, there's only one named in the Bible. Now in the apocryphal writings, which is part of the Roman Catholic Bible, there are four archangels. Let me see. Of course, Michael, Uriel, Raphael, Gabriel. Almost sounds like the Ninja Turtles, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, they're stronger and meaner, or not meaner, but better than the Ninja Turtles. I don't know if if they're four. I only see one named in the Bible. That's Michael. But in Daniel 12, the angel Gabriel uh, told Daniel that Michael will arise one day at a time of severe distress of Daniel's people, and that's the tribulation the 70th seven-year period. So let's look. Let's look at what he says. This is for the nation of Israel. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, stands over the sons of your people, will be silent. It'll be a time of distress that never was since a nation existed until that time. This is Daniel 12. And at that time, your people will escape. Everyone who is found inscribed in the book of, uh, in the book, many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awaken these for eternal life and those for disgrace for eternal contempt. Now that's at the last time. The trumpet uh, that sounds is, here's 1 Corinthians 15, we'll read it. Behold, I'll tell you, tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, all be changed, moment twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Okay, so It would seem to me that this last trumpet can't be the seventh trumpet of Revelation because there's a space of time that moves from there. Uh, and that, that's not possible with the context of what we're talking about. But Joel chapter 2 says this in verse 1, I guess. Blow the trumpet in Zion. And sound an alarm from my holy mountain. And let the inhabitants of the people know. And he goes on, he says, for the day of the Lord has come. And that's the last trumpet that sounds for the assembly of the people. Now to me, that's the trumpet. This is the assembly. And it announces the time of distress that falls. And Joel, the locusts come and all that kind of stuff. So to me, this is, this is that trumpet. It's the trumpet of assembly that certainly is the last one that sounds within a space or realm of time for a purpose and then introduces the next thing that comes along. So Jesus will return with believers who have passed away. Those who are alive and glorified will not precede the resurrected dead into the presence of the Lord at the resurrection shout. The dead will be resurrected. Those alive will be raptured at the trumpet sound. The archangel's call will summon Israel into a new relationship. And that, to me, is the doctrine of the rapture. Finally, we wait in peace. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
I'm living physically and I'm going to die physically. I have an appointment that God has made for me. Unless I'm raptured. I'm holding out for that and will hold out for that. My dear mother died at the age of 101. What, year before last? Year before last. And she turned 100, and she would tell me, well, I believe the Lord's coming soon. I'm probably not going to have to die. The Lord's coming soon. And I hope that's how we all live. Right up to the last breath, if that's required of us. But it is comfort for any of us. If I'm living, I'm raptured. If I'm dead, I'm resurrected. But I will be with the Lord. And if I'm dead, I, my spirit is with the Lord. Wherever he is, he's taking care of me until he joins me to my resurrected body. When he comes at the shout and the trumpet. And together we will always be. With the Lord. This is my hope, my comfort. Okay, so I may die before the rapture. Okay, I'm with the Lord. My spirit is with the Lord. I will eagerly await my glorification from that side. As long as I'm walking, I'm eagerly awaiting my glorification from this side. That to me is a comfort so that when we quietly assemble around the casket of a recently passed believer we don't go into some kind of violent grief we grieve and we weep but we are comforted the next time I see him, the next time I see her, won't be like this. It will be in rapture and resurrection. It will be in glorification. And we will always be together, never to part like this ever again. So then here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God has raised him from the dead? Have you ever publicly professed it? Have you ever acknowledged it? Well, you, you, all, you have that opportunity today. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In just a moment, we'll be dismissed in prayer. And as we leave this room, right across the hall, we have deacons and wives waiting to talk to people who sense that Christ is calling, the, the Father is calling you to the Son that you need to be saved. They're ready to pray with you and speak to you about that. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian. But you want to be a part of this local body of believers. That is a right and correct thing to do. They're prepared to pray with you and talk to you about that and take care of all the details of church membership if that's what you want. If that's what the Lord calls in your life. For now let's all stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Prayerfully let's stand.